for Gold. I'm Ryan Burrow. Another four-year term for IOC President Thomas Bach. He was re-elected this week at the 137th IOC session, which was held virtually. The 67-year-old German and 1976 fencing Olympians first term set to expire during the closing ceremonies of this year's games. He received 93 of 94 votes for re-election. His next term will run through 2025. Following his election, Bach said Tokyo was the best prepared Olympic city ever and reiterated that the games would open July 23rd, despite restrictions imposed during the COVID-19 pandemic. United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee holding its first meeting of 2021 as it navigates keeping American athletes safe heading into the summer games. USOPC Chair Suzanne Lyons speaking after the meeting and addressing what she calls elephants in the room. Uh, Number one, you have seen some reports, as have we, that spectators, international spectators, may not be permitted in Japan As you know, that has not been confirmed yet. Uh, For us, our primary concern is a safe game for the athletes and for our Japanese hosts as well, and we're basically prepared to make whatever sacrifices are necessary to allow the athletes to participate. So like you, we await further confirmation or information on that topic, and that decision belongs with our hosts in Japan. Um, The other hot topic, if you will, that I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more uh, relates to Beijing. And from a sports point of view, the preparations for those games are far along and and well-established. But we just wanted to acknowledge that there's been a steady steady drumbeat of concern about the human rights situation in Beijing, as well as some calls for an athlete boycott. And while we would never want to minimize what is happening from a human rights perspective in China, as a values-based organization, you know, we support inclusion, respect, and equality for all. But I do want to state, as we did in a, a statement that we uh, released earlier this month, that we do not support an athlete boycott. Uh, we believe that such boycotts have not been effective in the past, um, particularly in 1980, as we can look back to history. We believe those boycotts have only hurt athletes who've trained their entire lives for this opportunity to represent their country. And we believe this is an issue that should be addressed at the government-to-government level with China. Speaking of China, the country is teaming up with the IOC to offer vaccines to athletes and teams preparing for the upcoming games in Tokyo and Beijing. The IOC says it will pay for extra doses for athletes, and each dose will be matched with two more vaccinations for a wider population. However, Japan officials have chimed in, saying the country doesn't want any vaccines from China. U.S. basketball has announced a pool of 57 players who could potentially make the roster for the summer games. There are some familiar names on there. LeBron James, James Harden, Anthony Davis. Steph Curry is on the finalist list. While he's played for Team USA at the World Cups, he's never been a part of an Olympic team. Kawhi Leonard is also on that list. He said he'd like to play for Team USA this upcoming summer games. He did pull out in 2016. The NBA season wraps up the same week as opening ceremonies for the games. Many men's basketball players have yet to commit to playing in the Olympics. The roster needs to be formally submitted by July 5th. The Milano Cortina 2016 organizing committee is giving fans a chance to pick the game's logo. Members of the public are invited to vote on one of two logos to become the official game's emblem. That voting will continue through March 22nd. It's the first time in the history of the games that a popular vote will decide the Olympic emblem. We've got both logos in the link on our website. In this week's Athlete Spotlight, we head to Europe and talk with American water polo player Matt Farmer. He's a long ways away from playing in Illinois pools where he got his start, but he's hoping his rising career lands him a spot in the Tokyo Games this summer. Where are you at right now? 
I'm in Athens, Greece. I actually just got back from training. I'm um, playing with a professional team in Athens called uh, GS Peristeri. Um, most of the guys on the USA national team took professional contracts this year. So I was one of those who is over here now. So are there a lot of, Mer- of Americans on that team or are, are you kind of the lone one? There's a rule in the Greek league that you can only have two foreigners. It's myself and we have a Russian foreigner on our team as well. We, some of the teams that we play have Americans. Uh, there's two teams that have two Americans on it. and We actually have a lot of Americans in Greece this year, which has been great. I'm actually staying with one right now. So um, it's been nice. It's an easy to build chemistry when the guys are around. I was looking at the the roster, kind of the setup on both the men's and women's side of, of U.S. water polo, and um, you kind of stand out <laughs> because you don't have a California next to your name. Um, it, it seems to be kind of the hotbed for for uh, uh, water polo. Um, you know, h- how did you get into the sport? How did you rise to this level being a Midwesterner? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm sure you've talked to other athletes that are in sports that are usually localized to certain areas. Like I think lacrosse is really big on the East coast and stuff, but I got involved with water polo because I was really lucky. Um, I grew up swimming and the club that I swam for had a water polo program and my dad played water polo in high school. So he forced me to try it. I was, I was really into swimming and I never really wanted to, but as soon as I tried it, I, I was in love with it and I wanted, I couldn't wait to get back the next day to practice. And um, really, from then on, I just wanted to play every day of my whole life. And uh, it's, it's really continued to drive my decisions. Uh, in high school, I was recruited uh, my last year by a couple schools, and I chose to go out west where most of the best water polo is, the best water polo schools are. And I went to the University of California, Los Angeles, and um, that really is where my, the rest of my career took off. That was a launching point. That decision to go there was uh, huge for me moving forward. Is there a lot of room for growth in the Midwest for water polo? I mean, is the sport taking off? Are you seeing an increase in, in interest in it? Because I got to tell you, wasn't at my high school. Uh, I couldn't even tell you, you know, growing up in the in the West and Northwest suburbs, um, you know, where you'd even get involved in water polo. Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so I think there is a lot of room for growth in Chicago. I was very lo- fortunate during the first lockdown. I was back in Chicago. I had to come back from Spain where I was playing professionally and spent most of my time there. And as things started to open up, we were able to get pools open and I was coaching for some of the kids. And I thought it was a great way to give back to the sport. Um, the, the thing that hurts is obviously in the winter time, um, you can only use indoor pools and those are pretty, I, I won't say rare, but there aren't, it isn't as common as we would like. And especially indoor pools that can, um, that can be used for a water polo game. So you usually play a water polo game in an all deep pool. Um, and a lot of the facilities you'll find in the Midwest and the Chicago area are shallow deep or they're only six lanes. Um, when you come out here to Europe, all of the pools are either outdoors or even the indoor ones can accommodate a, a full regulation water polo game. So that's something that we struggle with uh, in the Midwest. But I still think there's a lot of uh, interest in the sport for the kids that play it. I saw a lot of enthusiasm, uh, kids wanting to play in college and wanting to know more about the sport. So I think there's a lot of room to grow. And it's, I think it's a great sport. And if it was more accessible to people or more available to the kids in Chicago, I think it would 
be a little more popular. This seems very similar to volleyball in that a lot of Americans then go play overseas. They get contracts. They can play professionally overseas. I assume you're holding out hope that someday uh, you could play professionally in the United States. Um, you know, when when we get to that point. But uh, right now, is it is it mostly a European game? Yes, and it's been that way historically. Uh, the men's team in the U.S. have achieved three or four silver medals in the last 50 years. But the Europeans, uh, especially Eastern Europeans, kind of dominate the game. It's moving a little more west in recent years. The Italian, Spanish, French teams, Greek teams are stronger. Um, but definitely because they're the those are the places that have professional teams. And those are the places that have grown men playing the game at the highest level that they can. And, I mean, it's similar to the U.S. in basketball or football. When we grow up watching those players – um, and idolizing those guys, it creates more interest and a higher level of play at a younger age group. Um, when I was a kid in Chicago, I couldn't go watch my local professional team and see the kind of shots these guys were making or the kind of moves they were making and say, oh, I can try that in practice. Uh, I didn't get to see any of that. And that's what the biggest difference is, uh, I believe, that causes them to have this advantage or, or this strength right now in, uh, in water polo. So what's your status right now with the, the senior men's team? Um, currently, we have a number 18 to 20 guys that are training with the senior team the last couple summers and throughout this year. Um, are we, we weren't sure if we were going to have a consistent place to train in the States, so our coach thought it would be the best idea for us to take professional contracts if we could. We actually just finished a month-long tour in Europe. Um, uh, we went to Montenegro, Italy, Croatia, Serbia, uh, training with teams. And by June, we're going to have to cut that roster down to 12 guys. And those 12 guys will go to the Olympic Games. Um, we actually just found out what the groups will be for the Olympic tournament. So, um, yeah, it'll be cut down to 12. And uh, I, think, I think we have a really good chance of being uh, competitive with those teams. Um, and I'd like to say over our whole trip, nobody got COVID-19. So that was that was a, a win for us. Your goal is to be one of those 12. Absolutely, it is. Th- this batch that's there, the 18 to 20 right now, I mean, are you, where do you guys rank as far as, you know, internationally? Are you, is this a pretty solid team? Yeah, I think we have a lot of talent. Um, I think our ceiling is very high, especially because we're a very young team uh, compared to the other uh top teams in the world there's a the generation above mine uh the guys in their early 30s mid 30s are all very strong uh and it seems like there's going to be uh, a large migration out a large retirement migration after this olympic games and i think it helps us actually this year delay because all of those guys got a year older while we were able to gain another year of experience as a young team um uh, it's it's tough to say where we rank in over this last trip. We had very competitive games uh, with Croatia, Serbia, Montenegro. We won a lot of those games, um, so we're very confident moving forward. Um, we we hope to advance top four out of our group and be able to have the chance to enter a quarterfinal game, and that's I think our main goal right now. And then once we tackle that, we'll, we'll reevaluate. Has the U.S. already qualified a spot in Tokyo? That's correct. Um, We qualified last summer at the Pan American Games. Uh, We won that tournament against Canada in the championship game. And uh, all the teams have now qualified as of last weekend. So it's been an exciting couple days for us in the water polo world.
you brought up no one on the team has come down with COVID. That's good news. What, what has the pandemic been like for you as far as finding a place to train? Uh, you know, have, have, has this really kind of, I think it, it's, it's halted everyone's life to some extent. It's had, you know, there have been some big changes. What are the, some of the things that you've had to kind of navigate around over the last year or so? So it definitely threw us off over the summer because that's our main time to be together as a national team when guys aren't with their professional clubs. Um, but this year has actually been pretty good for us in terms of the guys who are playing professionally. Those leagues haven't been halted so much. Um, I've, the guys in Greece, we had to take a, a two-month break because numbers were going crazy here, but we're actually resuming uh, games starting next Wednesday. So, uh Honestly, it's been it's been better than we we thought it could be. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of sports and a lot of teams have been thrown off by this, and um, I think we've been pretty lucky to be able to continue to train at a high level and compete uh, against other professional teams. And even if we didn't train together as much as we would have liked to, I think we're taking advantage uh, as much as we can of what we're what is available to us. You've seen how we've handled the pandemic here in the U.S. You've seen how they've done it in Europe. What's for, for someone who doesn't know how they're handling it in Europe right now? I mean, is everyone masked up? Is everyone standing six feet? Is the government more involved, less involved? I mean, what's it like over there? I mean, it really varies country to country. Here in Greece, I can speak to that they've been very, um, I think, stringent about the lockdown rules. They were the numbers were the lowest in Europe, and they locked down harder than any other country in Europe, um, and that hurt us because we had to stop playing for a while, but it also was good to see that they really were taking it seriously and keeping numbers as low as possible. I think a lot of it had to do with that their hospital system couldn't handle so many cases, but uh, either way, it was, you know, encouraging that they were being so serious. Uh, during our trip in, in Serbia and Croatia, we went to a couple places where it looked like they were just pretending it didn't exist. It, life was totally normal. Um, for us, it was hotel, pool, hotel, uh, masked up the whole time, but on the bus, I remember actually seeing a group of, it must've been undergraduates coming out of a, a building all together. must've been 120 people and nobody was wearing masks. So it, it varies from country to country. And, um, I think that the, the vaccines are starting to roll out a lot more in the Eastern Europe right now, uh, because they bought they, they, their populations aren't as large and um, they're rolling it out fast. So yeah, it varies. I mean, have you been getting good communication from the US OPC and IOC about, I mean, not even, not even Tokyo, but, you know, these months leading up to it and, and protocols and, you know, everything that you need to be thinking about and, and what they're planning to do moving forward. Yeah, they've been great. And we're, we're very lucky to have um, a sports med staff that has been on top of it with us and, and communicating uh, with the USOPC. And through our sports med staff, we get all the information and they've been keeping us up to date so that we can really focus on what we need to do in our current environment. And um, they kind of handle uh, what the protocol will be when we're going into whatever trip it'll be um, when it comes to testing. Uh, they're on top of it. They just tell us where to be at what time. Uh, so they've been, they've been great. And I can't thank the, you know, thank everyone enough for what they've done for us, the staff and, the and the program of USA Waterpool and USOPC. Are you feeling good that these games are going to happen? The Tokyo games? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I feel good about it. I mean, it's such an important event, and especially with everything that's been going on in the world. I think sports is such a great way to bring people together, even though there's competition. Um, I, I believe it'll happen. Um, so I'm very hopeful, keeping my fingers crossed over here. Obviously, anything could change any day, like it has been the last couple months, almost a year now. Um, but just keeping a positive attitude and definitely going to continue to train and prepare as if it's happening. Have, have there been fans at the matches you've gone to? Have you played in empty pools as far as fans go? Is that strange? Fans, fans have been kept out. Um, it has been strange. Um, but it's, it's been good in a way that it, it limits distraction. Um, I don't know if that will mirror the environment at the Olympic Games because you would hope um, you have more experience with those kind of elements, those um, – outward of those stressors, uh, the things that you have to tune out um, before you go into the Olympic Games. If it will be no no fans of the Olympics, then everything will be fine, and it'll be easier to lock in mentally, which has been good. Sure. Have you ever been to Tokyo before? No, I haven't been to Tokyo. I, I, hopefully I'll go, and I'm, I'm very excited for the opportunity. So when do, you, when do you find out? When do they start making those announcements then? I believe the exact date is June 15th, but it's somewhere around there. They, they, um, they gave our coach a hard date where he has to choose the, the 12 guys who are going. Um, so it'll be our, our professional seasons will finish around early May, mid-May, and then we'll only have about a month together before uh, they'll make final decisions. So it's a little nerve-wracking that it's going to happen so fast, but, you know, the same way we approach everything. We just do what we can with uh, what we have. What do you do during your downtime? You're in Greece. You probably don't speak the, maybe you speak the language. I don't know, but what, what do you do to, to kill time? You probably can't go to many places, right? Bars, restaurants are closed. There's probably not a ton you can do. Um, I, I've been very lucky. The place I'm staying is quite close to the beach where it's not far enough away that, um, that it's out of lockdown. So we, uh, my friend and I have been usually going to the beach and uh, it snowed here one day about six inches, which is the first time it happened in 35 years, which was crazy. And it's been 70 and sunny ever since. And Greece is quite beautiful. I can't really complain. Um, it's a pretty good life, but I like to get extra workouts in when I have free time and, and taking care of my body is something that's huge as I get older. Uh, something that I wish I had started earlier that really I, I got used to at UCLA was using as much recovery methods as possible to make sure that I'm healthy. Like you said, the last, the worst thing that could happen is an injury. So that's something that's really important to me. You able to keep up with everything that's going on back in the States? Yeah, here and there. Uh, I could be better about it, definitely, uh, just trying to stay mentally present over here. Um, but, uh, you know, just keeping in touch with all, all the people in my life that have kind of helped me to reach this point. Lots of Zoom calls. Well, we're all doing it, so, you know. Yeah, everyone's doing it. <laughs> all right, so for uh, people interested in getting into um, water polo, whether they're young kids, older, what, what, where should they start? What should they look for? Uh, if they can look for their local clubs, uh, I'm sure swim teams will have uh, an affiliated water polo club. And if they don't, they can give you information um, to the nearest water polo club. Uh, I think for kids who are playing currently, the best thing to do, like I said earlier, is go online and just look up some some YouTube clips of, of professional water polo players. And uh, just like any other sport, you're going to get better and 
learn as you watch people who n- know the sport and have done it before, um, like trying new moves, l- seeing what somebody else did and, and trying to emulate that. And I think that's the best way to learn and grow. And um, yeah, just have fun with it. Uh, don't take it too seriously. Just, just enjoy yourself because it's such a fun sport. Sure. Well, when do you, when does, you know, I talk to various athletes at, d- at different ages. When does, uh, the water polo age kind of peak. I know, you know, there's some sports where it's a little bit later. Some, I mean, if you're a 22 year old gymnast, you're pretty much done, you know, whereas if you're a 30 year old softball player, you're fine. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we were, I was talking about this with some of my friends the other day, you'd think physically you'd peak around 28 to 30 years old, but I really believe in water polo, the peak age, um, as seen for a lot of the best players in the world right now is early 30s um, because the game the game is so physically strenuous uh, that being uh, in crazy shape isn't important, but it's also so important to know how to use your energy and, and to know when to use your energy. And you only gain that as, ex- as you get more and more experience. And, and the guys who really know the game, uh, it really comes to them easier. It's not a hundred percent all the time. They know when to use their body and when not to. And I think as you get older, um, you, you get more used to that. Um, so I think even late twenties, early thirties is, is when people can really peak. Thank you, Matt. We'll continue to follow his journey. Next week, we talk to another American training overseas, this time in volleyball. That's coming up on the next Quest for Gold. I'm Ryan Burrow.